1: Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dawson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel.
2: And I'm Lars Otten.
1: On this edition, it's 2024. Happy New Year. And the Serie A race is back on. Do Juve have what it takes to challenge to the finish line? Also, can Jadon Sancho find his mojo back at Dortmund, where you could say it was last seen? And can Girona resist the January transfer interest in their players and challenge for the title in La Liga. Well, we'll ask our two gentlemen of Girona. So let's kick off first of all with what's happening in Serie A, Andy. Um, Juve are back where they want to be, trailing, obviously, uh, Inter. Uh,
3: Not by much, not by much. No. But nevertheless, can they maintain this run? Well, that's the question, I suppose. That They, they certainly finished 2023 in the, in, in the best possible way. There's no argument about that um, as they beat Roma in what can only be described as time-honoured style. Um, <laughs> a match against a Mourinho team where they were at home and had less possession than the visitors, which is remarkable. But, you know, Juventus have, I guess, dragged the future to them rather than gone into the future themselves. Oh. It's quite interesting what they've done because I think if we look back even at bits of last season, you look at Max Allegri and think they can really do with a new coach. They're lumbered with him for ages. They can't afford to sack him. But in fact, it's like it's like nineties night in Croydon. You know, they they've they've just found their their niche, doing what they they always did, winning games by not very much. Now, of course, part of that has been uh, Dusan Vlaovic and um, Federico Chiesa have have had their issues in in, in terms of form and and regularity. So they haven't been fluent. But part of that has been the way that the team has played as well. Mm. I think if you look at the top 10 teams in in Serie A, they have the, the lowest possession by a long way. It's around 45, 46%, something like that. And, the players that are key for them, therefore, are not the players that you would expect to be key. So Federico Gatti, um, Adrian Rabio, who scored the winner in this game against Roma, and the combination of them winning and uh, into dropping points at Genoa, and Genoa, of course, just come back up, but they took points off Juventus if we go back a month or so as, as, as well, has left them in a place where they're just two points off the top now. And they're not hiding the like under a bushel anymore because Rabio said after this game, "Look, we're we're in it to win it." Because the club have been very coy and said, "You know, it's all about just you know, getting in the top four. The players don't believe that. The players believe it is on. Yeah, and that's the
1: difference, isn't it, Lash? That um, the Rabiot comments that Andy mentioned there—it it sounded as if, "Look, <laughs> we we could or we intend to win
2: this." Well, they're on a good run, so they've got they've got every reason to be confident. And you know, they're not a, <laughs> I mean, they're not an exciting team to watch. They're not a team you would like unless you're a fan. If you're a neutral, if you're just sort of uh, continentally curious, that you're not a team that you sort of set you watching. I have to watch Juventus this weekend. Really not, but it's working, and it feels like almost um, you usually sort of. Um, managers are hired for specific circumstances, are hired for specific projects, which is a word people use a lot now. With this team, it seems like the project has kind of come to Allegri and not the other way around. Because uh, I think there has, obviously, I I don't think I know, there has been a slight, they've scaled back on the spending a little bit at Juventus. They're not bringing in like superstars anymore. Uh, And and instead, Allegri has been left trying to fashion a, a functional functional, difficult to beat, compact, combative team out of a of a squad of players that's, you know, solid more so than spectacular. And you know what? I think Allegro is very happy with that. I think that's something that suits his skill set better than trying to wrangle sort of superstars. And it's it's not I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned the defenders like Gatti, but also like Weston McKennie is playing really well, which I think is yeah. kind of not something you'd expect to happen. They were trying to get yeah. rid of him and he seemed like he didn't, you know, he has some qualities, but maybe didn't have the swag of a typical sort of Juventus midfielder. But in this sort of more uh, combative team, which is more about... Like Andy mentioned, not having a ton of possession all the time, but about being difficult to beat. You know, force opponents wide so they end up putting crosses in, and then you have three centre halves who are pretty, pretty happy winning those crosses. It's pretty functional football, but you know they're they're winning games. They're they're not losing, and, and, and they're they, gaining on Inter.
1: Although to a certain extent, they were fortuitous in the 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 week that they beat uh, Roma. That Inter go and draw in Genoa, like you said. For sure, I wonder if they can bank on being fortuitous throughout or for the rest of the season or whether they need despite what Larch was saying that they're not going to spend money on big players they need to be there in the transfer window don't they? Um,
3: to an extent maybe but I think they've spent so long trying to get their fortunes their financial fortunes in order um, post Cristiano Ronaldo post a lot of other Which was a shambles Yeah and a, a financial shambles certainly mm. and post a few other free, in inverted commas, signings that cost them an absolute fortune, like Aaron Ramsey. And they spent ages trying to trying to get rid of. So it's, 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 a, it's a new slate for them. And, of course, they were open as well to... <clears throat> last talked about Weston McKinney. They, they were open to selling on Vlaovic and, to a certain extent, Chiesa. Now, that was never the will of Allegri to sell Chiesa. But I think the fact that, A, they had high value, and, B... Neither of those guys wanted to play for him in mm. the summer. They were sitting there going, are we going to do another season of football like this? Now, it's easier to convince them to play that sort of football when you're winning, of course. But I think the fact that they have been brought back into the project and they've both been useful at various stages this season, even if they're not what we would call at their absolute best. And then you look at the young players that he can... Mold as well. You look at uh, Kenan Yilders, who is the young Turkish striker born in Germany, who scored his first goal for the first team um, just before Christmas. Who really had that sort of platform from scoring for Turkey against Germany in Berlin, which was a huge game for him. He got a surprise start. Turkey again really lacking a centre forward, and he he came in and he, he looked brilliant. And he's 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 been really really great since he's he's come into the the, the, the first team. And I, th- I think the, the, the key, really, to it all is, is Rabia, though, because he is a player who uh, could have gone at the end of last season and decided to to stay on. He's sort of doing it year by year, so he's going to be a free agent again come, come next summer. And the, the work that he does for them, I mean, he's, he's an authentic box-to-box player now. He was always thought of as a guy with enormous talent who needed very specific conditions to succeed but he's made himself, at the age of 28, so adaptable now. So he's their best ball winner and uh, through tackles and interceptions. Um, he, he gets the moves started by dropping from the left into the centre of midfield and finding Kostic or, or whoever the wing-back is on, on on that side. So he's increased his range of passing. He's increased his vision. He's the first out to sort of put the block on the press when the other team are trying to press them. So the physical side of what he's got is, is, is very important as well. Um, now, talking of being coy, he might not be coy about the title, but he's coy about where he's going to be next summer because he knows that he's at that age where he's at absolute peak and he's got an enormous amount of value as well. There must be a load of Premier League teams looking at him. I mean, we've talked last about how the World Cup was a sort of springboard for the regeneration of Griezmann, or, or a springboard for the world understanding how mm. Griezmann was getting to and beyond his absolute best? Can we say the same of Rabiot? Do you think?
2: I mean, I wouldn't go that far. But what I think is interesting with Rabiot this season is that we've had we've had like over 6 months now where there's been no nonsense like there's been he's, he's not been <laughs> demanding a transfer he hasn't said or done anything weird he's just been a footballer and i think that's a welcome change with ravio and and he seems to have taken on some of the responsibility like I mentioned, this is a team with very few superstars. I mean, you you can make the case. I mean, maybe Vlaovic, but you can make the case that he's the biggest name in there, and and the guy who has the biggest uh, CV and the, the the biggest ego, possibly. I don't know the dressing room, but you know, he's someone who, having had a career where there's been a lot of nonsense, and there's been a sense, like you said, that he's talented but hasn't quite found his place. This season, he there has there has been less nonsense, and he's playing very very good football, and that's probably not a coincidence. Um, interesting that you mentioned the transfer market, uh, Dalton, because I do think, but well, there are there, there are always rumors around Juventus and transfers, and there are two things I'd, I'd like to mention that have been mentioned pretty persp- pers- persistently in the Italian press: is there there is speculation that they're one of the clubs that might go for Pierre Pierre Emil Heuberg uh to, which would sort of beef up that midfield a little bit give them another um another beefy boy option in there you know you could him and allegri probably get on pretty well you would imagine uh and then the other one that's interesting is is Domenico Berardi who you know they were very close to I mean they well how close they were they were certainly interested in signing him in the summer and it, it it feels weird that Berardi has never played for Juventus because that's been a sort of that's been an ongoing will they won't they for quite a long time in fact he was Juventus property at one point uh, but was sort of loaned straight back out to Sassuolo and uh, I don't think he ever played a game for Juventus but, but, but he's been linked to them so much so many times over the years you know he's 29 now, so usually it might never happen. But he's someone who, if they could bring him in, if they could find a price point that Sassuolo could agree to, that wouldn't completely mess up Juventus's finances, as Andy points to. He could add a little bit of spark to a team that is that is functional, that's getting results, but could still do with something extra. I think going forward.
1: Although uh, Szczesny, the goalkeeper, is suggesting that the team that they've got, he likes it, and they're the team to do the business. I I feel like Rabiot, though, is the leader of this team now. Just from what I'm reading between the lines of what he said, um, he's got the permission to go out and say, not only could we win it, but we should win it, uh, Mm. the Scudetto. And that would put him in a perfect position uh, come the Euros for France, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, it would. And, you know, considering all the... The noise around him at Euro twenty I twenty. Th- I think that he had such an outstanding World Cup a year and a half later. It was it was the moment he needed definitely. Um, he's he's taking that forward with him into into club football. He's he's been great for Juventus for, for a while now. Um, but I, I do think what you were saying before about whether they can re- retain that consistency. He is a huge part of that. But you know, you were saying they're they're waiting for a slip from Inter. But you know what? Everyone's expecting Inter to win the title. Weirdly, for Juventus, the pressure is not on them, mm. which is very, very unusual. And when we're talking about the whole retro vibes going back to the beginning, they're just relentless in winning games 1-0 at the moment or just squeaking through games they're just finding a way to win them in really unexciting ways. Now, I think psychologically, it's probably quite wearing for Inter. It's like, we've played really well and these scrubs are like only two points behind us it would absolutely do your head in wouldn't it
2: no that, that's a really good point andy with the expectations not i mean i ahead of the season i'm not even sure i was fully expecting them to make the champions league just i mean Same. because it's just they're, they're they they do not look very impressive on paper and i think we were all expecting napoli to be better than they have been you know, uh, Milan are you know have, have been good recently. So I, I I I thought they'd struggle to make the Champions League. So I I I didn't see this revival coming at all. Um, it's not again. It's it's not the most thrilling revival to watch. But you know, admirable work clearly is being done by Allegri and the players who are there. So
1: that's Serie A. Let's move on to the Bundesliga and a a transfer of a different sort. Uh, you, you'll see why in a moment um, Jaden Sancho going back to where he arguably played the best football that we've seen from him not arguably absolutely well <laughs> he had his moment at the beginning of his transfer to Man United but let's leave that to one side yeah he, he's going back then to where it all happened to Dortmund on loan uh, for the time being what difference will he make to them
3: I'll tell you what, I was saying on the Ramble yesterday how both clubs and Sancho really need this to work. This is a transfer that will excite a lot of people, but it is born out of mutual desperation because United just don't know what to do with Sancho. And as we've said elsewhere, they, they handled this situation awfully. Um, Sancho, even if you think he's been wrong, he's not played football since August. And he's not been in Nick for United for a really long time. He's had, we know he's had his difficulties, um, on on and off the field, and y- you have to have sympathy for that and understanding for that. But for Dortmund as well, he has been keen to go back there for a while because he feels, like you said, Dotton, is his happy place. He can he knows where he is there. He's shielded from the level of scrutiny that he finds uncomfortable. And he can just get on with his game, and of course, he's played his best ever football there. But what I think is interesting is the fact that Dortmund have known this possibility is on the table for for a while, and before they've not really bitten. They thought, oh, okay, that's nice, but it's, it's not really our priority, and it's an expensive deal. Of course, it's slightly less expensive deal because. Man United are going to pay some of his wages going forward and also they've got the 73 million or whatever it was that uh, Man United paid them in the first place still counting it it, Don still counting (laughs) it but I I think it's it's really an underlining of where Dortmund are at at the moment as well this is a club that will come to and a team that's in a real state of flux at the moment the the chance of winning the Bundesliga is, is is basically gone as they've struggled to recover from what happened at the end of last season and in really poor form going into the winter break. So the draw with relegation threat and Mainz just before a couple of days before Christmas leaves them one win in seven Bundesliga games. Now really you could argue that the only thing that has saved Edin Terzic, the coach, is the fact that they won the Champions League group and and got through to the the last 16. This, to me, Lars, feels like a lot of Dortmund transfers of the last little while and underlines that there is that sort of fracture between Terzic, the coach, and um, Sebastian Kehl, the sporting director, in that it's a good player. It's a nice player to have, just like Fulkrug. But it's, it's, it's a bit whack-a-mole. There's not real strategy there. There's like, this is an opportunity, shall we seize it?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a very fair point and a good way of putting it. And the thing I'm wondering is, would they have done this in January if the month of December hadn't gone the way it did for them? Uh, because just just to recap, they didn't win a game in December. Like they they lost, uh, they lost twice. Uh, they went out of the Pokal against uh, against Stuttgart. Uh, they lost to Leipzig. Then they had a draw against Leverkusen, draw against PSG, and then. That's fair enough, but then very damagingly a draw against Augsburg and a draw against Mainz to finish off the the first half of the season, and and that row that sort of <laughs> that that December horror show kind of put, puts them in fifth, you know, fifteen points behind by Leverkusen, who are top, and and that's just not acceptable. It's not where they want to be, and and they they've been very the hierarchy have been very supportive of Terzic. It's clear that they like him a lot and and believe in him as a young coach, but at the same time they've uh, they've just brought in Nuri Shaheen and Sven Bender to be to be sort of assistant coaches which is which is it doesn't feel like a vote of confidence because uh, they're they're both you know strong characters and potential coaching prospects it's a strange move i think to i mean they're both arguably bigger names than the head coach because of their playing history Absolutely. with the with the with the club and it's it's harsh on Tezic because i think because he doesn't have a cv to speak of Anytime things don't go that well for Dortmund, the questions are going to be there, uh, more so than they would for a more established name. I'm I'm digressing slightly, but my point is you're exactly right with the whack-a-mole thing. It it seems, in theory, Dortmund need a spark from somewhere, and and Jaden Sancho needs to get back to the player everyone knows he can be. So from that perspective, it makes total sense. But there is a there's a shortsightedness to it that you're exactly right. That you wonder are, are Dortmund are they building towards something or are they just kind of like the the feet of the swan on the lake? They're just paddling like mad to sort of you could keep well, sort of trying to trying to you, glide you, along.
1: Well, we we can turn it in, into slapstick. Having said that, you've got a theory, Andy, about how Dortmund have got form in welcoming back players that they once uh, had registered to them.
3: Well, they, they do, Don. I mean, I think you can list them. You know, uh, Kagawa, Shaheen himself, um, that's before he, he came back as a coach. Um, Mats Hummels. Um, there's so many. Uh, Marco Reus, um to, in, in, a, in a certain way. Mario Goetze, of course. Mm. And when you think of Goetze... Kagawa, Shahin, in particular, very unsuccessful second hmm. spells. You know, costly to bring them back, and it didn't work brilliantly the second time. You know, clubs don't do this all the time, do they? And I think the only re- real comparable in modern European football is Atletico Madrid, and once they spent a fortune bringing Diego Costa back from Chelsea, and he could barely run. They thought, right, okay, maybe this is enough of that. Although with Griezmann. Although they but, still brought, yeah, yeah. brought Griezmann back, exactly. And that's been successful. That's yeah, been successful. That so has that been be... successful, but he's he's extraordinary, so you can't really count him as representative of everything. I guess that's what they will hope with Sancho, that it's just a bad fit with United mm. in every way and that he's so successful at, at, at Dortmund. You know, a, a playing well, Jaden Sancho, would be an enormous boost to them because they're lacking imagination, they're lacking creativity, they're lacking pace, which I think is a a huge thing. It's amazing to me this season that Hummels and Royce are still two players they're massively reliant on. And Mm -hmm. if you're talking of a stick with which to beat Edin Terzic, that is it. Because the football is so stodgy. Is so ponderous. It's not just the results; that's the problem. It doesn't feel like there's fluidity. It doesn't feel like there's a plan. Now, of course, this time Sancho won't have Ashraf Hakimi bombing past him, which you know is is something that he struggled to adjust to when Hakimi initially left to go to Inter. But in in terms of getting Dortmund back, if you like, getting that sense of a player who brings some percussion to it, a sort of excitement that the fans really want to see and that really matters in the context of, of Westphal and Signal and Park. that is something that could really work for them. But I agree with Lars. I think you're bringing in some help for Terzic. That's fine. But Nuri Shahin has walked away from a head coaching job at Antalya Sport, where he did pretty well for a couple of years, I think especially at the beginning when he had an immediate impact, steered them away from relegation. They played some great football, I might add. You think him and Sven Bender, you know, they can't have left, or especially Shaheen cannot have left Antalyaspor without thinking, you don't leave a head coach's role for an assistant's role without some sort of, there are some future prospects mm. for you mm. like dangled. Surely, surely.
2: You're saying this is what, like, when they brought in Bayern, brought in Hansi Flick to help out Niko Kovac, uh, there was like, you know, there might be some sort of future <laughs> that, that idea they are, more, there.
3: they are more Bayernish than we think. Let's yeah. face it.
2: That's a fair point. On on Sancho though, Sancho himself, I, I'm hoping it works out. Like I was poo-pooing it a little bit from a Dortmund perspective, but I'm I'm hoping it works out because I mean, there's a great talent there that's not been able to produce what we know he can produce, and. On Sancho, there's a quote I keep going back to, which is after the first summer when he was heavily linked with United, there were all these bids, the transfer didn't happen. And as you mentioned, Andy, that's when Hakimi left as well, wasn't it? He, he His form really dipped uh, mm. that autumn. And that was the first time at Dortmund his form had kind of gone downhill a little bit. And I think it was Watske, Yeah, almost certainly it was uh, Aki Vatske, the CEO, who spoke about how the player had and it was a wonderful phrase that's probably been mangled in translation from germany but i still love it he said he had lost he had lost his sense of ease which i thought was tremendous like it, because he is he is a bit of a street footballer you know he he grew up playing football in the cages uh, of south london and you know he he is at his best when he is relaxed and confident and happy and and playing on instinct and and, and at that point in his uh, dortmund career he got to a place where he was maybe trying to force it and you mentioned percussion Andy, I mean, the rhythm wasn't quite right. And, and and that's what's, to me, what's happened at United just times five. Like, I've seen him at Old Trafford in the flesh a few times, and it's been very noticeable how, you know, the crowd gets on his back pretty quickly there uh, if he tries to go past someone and, and can't do it, if he has a bad touch. I always got in the sense that the Old Trafford crowd has not been super patient with him and, and have gotten on his back very fast. And that seems to affect him and he stops trying to go past people when in the way that we've seen him do for Dortmund he's stopped trying to play the passes we know he can play so he seems to be a little bit affected by his surroundings in that sense and, and maybe needs to be in a in a space where there's more sort of unconditional love coming to him from the stands and i i think maybe Dortmund is a good place for that and um and and hopefully he can get to a place where he feels good and feels relaxed and is able to produce his best football again
1: it's a big call uh they're off to Marbella next week though uh, which is not... The uh, right time to join, well, you yeah. could say. <laughs> not for lying in the sun, but for their training camp indeed. Does Jaden Sancho need to do something? Because, you know, we've talked about what Dortmund has to do to sort of make it work. Mm. But what does he have to do
3: to make it work? It would be his motivated best. I, I mm. don't think there's any doubt about that. Um We know that he's had issues with timekeeping and stuff. I I tend to think more's been made of that at Manchester United than necessarily needs to be. Um, Having but, said that, does but, he possibly
1: need to readjust his thinking about his career and the way that he relates to a coach, for I'm, example? I'm
3: sure he already has. He's had yeah. plenty of time to think about it, hasn't he, over, mm. o- over the last couple of months. We know that he connects well with Terzic which is one of the things that has saved Terzic so far that a lot of people in the dressing room like him. Hmm. A lot of the players like him. He's, he's a Dortmund guy. And bear in mind that Terzic, one of the things that has saved him, when you look at like, what he could do in the future, they've been looking back to, the, in his first spell as coach, when he won the DFB Pokal, when they absolutely hammered Leipzig in the final. Two key figures in that, Erling Haaland and Jaden Sancho. So I'm sure that is in mind as well, that they feel he is the right guy to, to get a tune out of them. And I think when you look back as well to... The, I think the Marbella point is an interesting one because this is what they traditionally do. They go, get get a bit of warm weather weather training and um, sort of uh, play a couple of friendly games. But, but, but that's not really it. It's about the time that they spend together. And what saved Terzic last season... Bear in mind, they went into the World Cup. They are in sixth place in the Bundesliga. And the last game before the World Cup, they got absolutely hammered at Borussia Mönchengladbach. The time that he spent, Terzic, with those senior players, relating to them and saying to Emre Can, saying to Mats Hummels, I need more from you, getting through to them, that was what caused their second half of the season. So I think Terzic, you can have doubts about his tactics, his plan for on the pitch... His relatability is why they keep going back, and why Akivatska, as Lars was saying, is has always had that faith in Tursic because he feels he can still connect with people on a human level, and that is more important at Dortmund than it is at a lot of clubs. Now, if we're talking about Sancho specifically, connecting with him on a human level is paramount. That's the most important thing. We know he's got the ability there. So, if he can do that with Sancho Terzic, A, he's improving his jobs prospects, B, he's improving Dortmund's season, and C, he's bringing Sancho back to where he should be.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: Let's talk about La Liga and and one of the <laughs> one of the most exciting games that we've seen this year, as it were, at least certainly um, in the last few days. It's it was Girona versus Athletic, and Girona achieved a historical result. Um, we're looking for the two gentlemen of Girona that were, I had to do it one more time. It's the last time I promised you the <laughs> oh. two gentlemen of Girona that made a difference in this game. Well, you know, if it's more than two gentlemen and then do add others in. But what a game.
3: What a I, game. I mean it is probably the right time of year for lars to have a top hat and me to be riding along on a penny farthing <laughs> <laughs> but i like that yeah, yeah uh, better, uh, better uh, you on the
2: penny farthing than me andy i don't think that would end well
3: <laughs> uh, better, better than any of <laughs> Atletico. Need a leg up though yeah, yeah. Better, better, better than any of atletico's defense on that first half showed as, Ooh, as, as, as well i think okay uh, look, look girona of the story um you know Ivan martin's winner which was a brilliant winner really came from nowhere because Atletico dominated that, that second half and probably should have, have won the game.
1: Last-minute winner, by the way.
3: Yeah, but but they, they didn't. Girona won and, you know, n- not many people will begrudge them that and rightly so. They've been the story of the first half of the La Liga season and th- they, they started this game brilliantly as well. You know, they nearly had a goal in the first 30 seconds um, through Arten Dovbic. Uh, they had so many other chances... In that first half, Atletico were mauled, and Atletico, Lars, looked really old and slow, didn't they, in yeah, that, in that they first are. half? They are.
2: Yeah, they, well, they did by comparison. I think Girona was so impressive in, in terms of uh, the, the energy that they have, obviously, but also like small things. You notice every time someone's on the ball, he has many players to... To, to, there's always a play of making themselves available for the pass. Uh, they have real pace. I mean, especially that right-hand flank with Yanukovych and, and Savio. Or uh, you know, th- that's a scary thing to come up against. And and you and you did think that sort of the the three at the back formation that uh, Atleti played maybe didn't work ideally here. And and um, and, and Simeone. He did change it in the second half. You can understand why. Because uh, Giona kept finding space in that sort of slightly awkward areas behind the wingbacks and outside of the center halves. and It, it was such a thrilling performance by, by Girona. And it was one of those performances that makes you think 're not just they're not just the sort of fairy tale team for whom everything is just going right at the moment there was there was just real quality here I thought but then they are also a bit of a fairy tale team because because they looked everyone looked very tired towards the end of this game. everyone looked tired uh, understandably because they had been played at just a relentless pace and, and intensity. And in that sort of slightly scrappy final minutes, it's it's Joanna who find a winner just absolutely from nowhere with Ivan Martin who, if you haven't seen this goal, you should look it up because it's a great goal. And it was also... I mean I maybe it's harsh to say it was a little bit fortuitous but it does look like he just kind of swings a leg at it and it <laughs> it lies in the top they corner. Count. it's this yeah but the point is I don't it's think it's so, fortuitous. Yeah. it's the sort of thing that happens in a season where everything's going for you put it that way so I
3: should have I should have said I don't think it's unfair to say it's fortuitous yeah it's like I'm gonna take you back to the longest escalator on the London Underground. Uh, the, the the one at angel oh, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it was a little bit like if someone fell down that and then just as they were about to hit their head flip forward did a did a double backflip and landed on their feet it's, it's that's not that's where what i thought you'd go like, with they this all count. Andy, But that's, uh, that's uh, <laughs> they all count.
2: yeah they certainly do but but I, that's one thing i wanted to flag up though so like i feel like giving um Giving Simeone a stick for being too defensive is kind of old hat, and, and Atleti weren't. I mean, they attacked very well in this game. You know, Rodrigo de Paul had a great game. Morata scored a hat-trick. You know, they were they were good, Atleti. But, you know, towards the end of this game, sort of in the 80s, ninth minute, something like that, everyone on the field you could see were tired. Both teams were starting to make sloppy mistakes. There were openings to be had. That's when Simeone takes off Griezmann, takes off Murata, and puts on aspiliqueta and Saul. <laughs> That's the sort of "I'll take my point and get out of here, please." Move from yeah. the manager, and I just thought the uh, the win was there for Atleti as well. Like Girona were also knackered. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they, agreed. And and, and that was Simeone the most just Simeone thought subs ever. Yeah, the most Simeone thing, and I think I don't think it's unreasonable to sort of flag up that that was maybe not the move under those circumstances and it enabled Girona to come on to them a little bit more in the last few minutes of the game than they otherwise would have perhaps
3: history has is, is, is totally proved you right there and you know they, they were a lot better than Girona in that second half and they got themselves back into the game they, they got themselves back to 3-3 great hat trick by Murata, three brilliant finishes by the way and yeah they blew it well, what it's done to the
1: uh, league is that now Girona are in second place behind uh, Real Madrid. And the rest... Although level on points. Yeah, level yeah. on points. But the rest are some way behind. You know, we are talking 10 points behind for Atleti. Yeah, 10 points to Atletico And Barcelona.
3: Atleti. Uh, but Barcelona still 10 points behind, although they play at Las Palmas uh, later, um, which which will be interesting. But yeah, Atletico have... have shot their shot I think as, as far as the title goes and now it's about staying in the top four and seeing what they can do with a very very difficult last 16 game against Inter in the, in the Champions League but here's a stat for you very quickly please Diego Simeone has never
1: gone three seasons in a row at Atleti without securing silverware last time he won was in 2021
3: are we talking about Third third season blues now. Yeah, it's looking that way, isn't it? But I think Lars is quite right to point out how he played his hand poorly, I think, in in the back half of this. But all the mistakes that were made in the first half that got them into that hole in the first place, which they very dug themselves out of very well, um, they're all stuff that you can't really lay actually either on him or on the players, I don't think, because... You look at it, and the way they were caught in, the, in in possession for goals one and two by Girona, and you know, Koke was taking forever on the ball for the for, for, for the second goal um, that ended up um, being put away by Savio. And you just think, Koke has been playing far too many games. He needs a rest. But how does he get a rest? Is is it impossible? Basically, they need some money spent on that squad. You mm. know, they they go they're going by on little bit odds and bits. I think a team that looks a bit tired. And, you know, Griezmann, who's still, he was excellent in the second half, but he's not at that level of consistency that he was back in, say, October, for example. They need to protect Griezmann and Koke at all costs. Without them two, the season is sunk. But They've got no chance of getting to, to where they want to go. Simeone, I think, has been doing the absolute maximum that he can with that set of players but you look at some of those signings as Lars was saying like, Aspilicueta Witzel who you know, looks like he could do with some sort of transport to get around the pitch <laughs> these days you
0: know he did, like Chuck it takes forever
3: to get him to do stuff and that that is particularly shown up as Lars says by a team as dynamic and as well drilled as Girona a team that are always trying to score and this season are always managing it
1: we all need a stroller when we get to a certain age and you, wait, you youngsters all know what I mean. But arguably, uh, you don't need a stroller,
2: Dalton. I've seen. You know, I never said I out. did. I, mean, you're I just said you gentleman have... gentleman Of course, you're I don't. In it, rude health,
1: thank you. Does feel as if Atleti's um, January transfer window issues are very different from Girona's? Because Girona are going to struggle. Are they not last? Do you think to keep hold of some of their players in this transfer window?
2: I don't. Typically, when you have a Smaller team that has a half season like they've had. Obviously, the vultures are going to circle. I just think if you're part of this team now, why would you leave? Like the offers that you're getting now, you're likely going to get in the summer as well. Why would you not give it another six months and see what can be done here? Because because they're they're they have the same number of points as Real Madrid and. This is not an unbeatable, perfect, immaculate, all-conquering Real Madrid team. This is a Real Madrid team that has weaknesses. Jude Bellingham picks up a bad injury tomorrow. You know, suddenly the title is there to be won. I, I, I don't I don't see why you would leave at this point in time. And I am very cynical about this sort of you always get the best deal you can get and all this sort of thing. I'm I've, I've f- thoroughly unromantic in my approach to this sort of thing. But I think in this particular case, if you're playing for Girona, you're part of this incredible story. Why would you not let the second half of the season play out to see what's possible?
3: Until the back half of that, I was going to thank uh, Girona president Lars Sivertsen for his uh, <laughs> words there. Because that's exactly what their president and Michel the coach came out and said afterwards because they were asked about the speculation about Alex Garcia the guy who knits it all together in midfield you know we've talked about um, Miguel and Yankoto the the backs. we've talked about um, uh, we've, we've, we've talked about Sigankov we've talked about Dovbic um, and Savio but Alex Garcia if, if they lost him they would be in trouble we talked about um, Griezmann and Colquet for Atletico I think you can say the same and double for Alex Garcia. Now, we know Barcelona are interested in him because they are, you know, when, when they're interested in someone, they're not coy. You know, they're buying everyone a drink and Spending all their they're money on cheap cologne. We are interested. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's that sort of thing. You,
2: you're saying that when they're in this sort of courting mode, you can kind of smell the, the lynx Africa from far away. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, they've they've gone in for a second spray. There's no yeah. doubt about it, <laughs> and, and probably a smint as well. Mm. But, but I, I think Alex Garcia has has been quite quiet on it. I think he would probably like to take the opportunity to go to Barcelona and fair enough. I think you look at it and you think we're never going to have a season like this again and maybe I won't get the chance to move to Barcelona again. I'm 26 and at the moment Gavi is out. So yeah, there you go. Now there's a bit of dispute of over what his buyout clause actually is. Girona say 20 million. Barcelona say they have had information that it is around the 12 million mark. 12 million they can maybe afford with a bit of change down the back of the sofa. 20, forget it. They, they, they can't do it. So, I think this is something that's going to run and run a bit. But going back to what Lars was saying, that's what Girona are going to do. Go, come on. You've got the opportunity of a lifetime. And even if you get to play for Barcelona, even if you get some money, well, you, you get a contract that says you're going to get some money, I suppose we can say, with, with, with Barcelona. They're not, going to, they're not going to win much this season, are they? I mean... Are they going to win the Champions League? No. Are they going to win La Liga? No. They seem to have ruined their title shot already. So.
2: Now, and just Secondly, on transfers, the thing that it can affect it a little bit is the fact that Girona are part of the City football group. I mean, they are Manchester City's uh, Spanish outpost, effectively. Now, it's not as good as they are. There's not a lot of players here who are going to play for Man City. But, if you look at Someone like Savio Savinho, I think he's definitely someone uh, they they'll be looking hard at at uh, at the Etihad and, and keeping an eye on what he can do because he he has he looks to me like someone who has the potential to actually develop into a first teamer at at Manchester City. Also interesting to see if like maybe it's just because they played very well yesterday, but I'm very very enthused by that right hand side, like Jan Cotto, the right back from Brazil, who. Um, who the great Tim Vickery, who, of course, you guys know much better than me, but he's a fantastic. Uh, he's got a great eye for these things, Tim Vickery. You'll remember from working with him for so many years, Dalton. He, he, he often gets it wrong. Often gets it wrong? Often gets it right. He hardly ever gets it wrong. God damn it. <laughs> no,
1: Raphael Scheidt is the I was one about to say about. the Raphael Scheidt debacle.
2: We've all moved on from that now. Uh, he hardly ever gets it wrong when it comes to these young players. And he called Jan Koto early on. As someone who, with a bit of luck, could be like the great next, the the next great big uh, Brazilian right back. Now, going to Man City when he was that young was maybe not the ideal move for him, but you see him playing now, playing regularly for Girona, and you can see what Tim meant because he's got so much energy, flying up and down that flank. So there, there are players here who I I, I think possibly could uh, be uh, be Manchester City players in the future.
1: Uh, let's not take our eye off the ball as well. Um, Real Madrid is in this race for the La-, La Liga title. And although Lash did give a note of optimism, if you're a Girona fan, that, um, well, Jude Bellingham might suffer an injury during the course of the season. Actually, the note that we should really be regarding is the fact that Angelotti, the coach,
3: has now signed a new contract. I mean, if they lost everything, it still wouldn't stop them from sacking him, I, I, I might point out, even if he has signed to 2026. But you're right, Dotton. As you say, a lot of people were thinking Ancelotti to Brazil was a done deal. Now, as we spoke about on this podcast going a couple of months back, it, it, it was never done from from his side as far as he was concerned. And also, the possibility of Xavi Alonso going to Real Madrid at the end of the season was always just a possibility slash contingency, rather than a done deal. The way this season has unfolded, especially given that they've been going through it without really a, a, a top-ranked centre forward, and I mean that with every bit of respect and love for Hazely that that could possibly exist. Um, the, the 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 club have been really impressed with what he's done this season. You know, he is one of the great adapters of of European coaching, as one of the as well as one of the greats of of, of European coaching. So. I think that stability, especially when you look at what has happened to the other big clubs and I think their limited resources as well, is a very, very convincing argument for keeping him, at least for the moment. Um, and I think there's, there's still plenty that Real Madrid can, can do this season. Of course, they'll want to build on that. Like the, the, the Kylian Mbappe thing is going to run and run and run. And of course, that is at the forefront of Everyone's minds again since he can potentially sign for Real Madrid from the, the 1st of January. Does his signing which, change that? Killian
1: which, Mbappe stalemate, if you
3: like. Um, well, I, I guess what's going on with Killian Mbappe is not completely disassociated with what's happened to Ancelotti because it tells us that the future is fluid, but it can't be too fluid. You know, they would love to have a commitment from Killian Mbappe already but they realized that they're not going to get it. He came out after the Trophy de Champion game where PSG beat uh, Toulouse on Wednesday night and said, look, <clears throat> I've not made my mind up. And last time I made my mind up in May. So, you know, if you want to transfer saga, <laughs> you got it, Yeah. basically. So I think it's a good thing for Real Madrid to do for the moment. But look, so much could, could change. But we talked about Juventus grinding out results. It's exa- exactly what they did against Mallorca last night
1: it's time to talk about a game of the week uh, a suggestion a recommendation from each of you of a game that we can all watch and enjoy we've had a lot of football um obviously to watch over the christmas new year period and we've had a lot of food as well <clears throat> to enjoy apart from large <laughs> apart from large uh, so large <laughs> do, talking- <laughs> yeah, do, do you want to go first to make yourself hungry? yeah
2: i've got something uh, it will shock you to know. I have actually prepared uh, for this. This is because for new listeners, this is the feature that I always forget to prepare for, which I have in this case not <laughs> forgotten. I have I have had a look at it, and I think for me, I can't believe I'm doing this to myself voluntarily. But I gone to watch Jose Mourinho's Roma on Sunday night because uh, they take on Atalanta, which is a pretty big game and what looks to be a a spicy race for the last sort of Champions League spots in Italy this spring, and Roma are. I was disappointed with them against Juventus. They just looked really one-paced and unimaginative, uh, which of course is completely unexpected from a Jose Mourinho team. Uh, and, and they got past Cremonese in the Coppa Italia this midweek. Uh, but but I I I I I can't quite figure them out and I'm not I'd like to look have a look, have a closer look at this team. Atalanta, of course, are always good value. They have a lot of really interesting players. Uh, Charles de Ketterle scoring for them midweek in the Coppa Italia, which I mean would be a very uh, Atalanta thing to do if they could uh, they could help rehabilitate him. You know they got Ademola-Lukman up front. Like there's there's a lot of stuff going on going on with this team. I think Roma against Atalanta could be a fascinating one on Sunday. Sad. I mean there is a chance that. Roma as Mourinho teams often do Succeed in like taking this thing Out of the game and turning it into a boar fest But fingers crossed I believe this could be good
1: And what would you eat with it We need something to eat Well You see you hadn't prepared any food had you
2: well, no, because all the Italian food I want to eat, I should stay away from at the moment. So I'm not really sure. <laughs> what <laughs> no, actually, it's it's. Listen, guys, it's Sunday night. I'm sure you've all had a big weekend by then. Have yourself a pizza. Don't overcomplicate it.
1: Thank you, thank you. Uh, mine's a margarita, by the way. Um, Andy, do you fancy pizza?
3: <laughs> Always. Um, I am going for Friday night. I'm going to go for uh, Bovista versus FC Porto. Now, oh, this is this is the yes. Porto derby. Um, there is a lot more probably going on off the pitch than there is on the pitch at the moment. Um, Bovista have been in big financial trouble, struggling to pay their players, uh, not for the first time. Whereas Porto, there's a lot going on there, not just the forthcoming presidential elections. And uh, yes when Jorge um, uh, Nuno uh, Pinto da Costa had his his most recent birthday, Andre villas Boish, his prospective opponent in the presidential race, and we know there's been a, a lot of fluff over that all, all, already, did take time to be pathologically nice and very publicly wish him a, um, a happy birthday. There's that going on. There's the fact that Sergio Consisario is under probably greater scrutiny than ever before, not just because... Porto aren't top, but there are an increasing amount of fans who are, particularly since they lost in the classical to sporting, unhappy with the way he plays football. So going back to what we were talking about with Allegri, really, Contesau has always been able to say um, whether we've got no money or not, I can produce a competitive team. But there there's always been a section of Porto fans who've thought, yeah, but why are we a club like ours, um, wanting strength and, and brawn over 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 flair, and matches like that where they just you know didn't really have a plan and and, and they were taken apart by a very enterprising sporting team creates that. Also, the problem with Consel at the moment is that there are a lot of players. He always complains that he doesn't have enough resources in the transfer market, and there are a lot of players like David Cardinal who's been who's the record signing, you've got banished to the, the, the B team, Gabriel Verón, um, players who cost money, who are basically doing nothing. And that is part of a head coach's job. You've got to make the most of the assets and you've got, got to make sure they're not completely diminished in, in value. So this is the start of, I would say, a big half year for him as as well. So I think the Porto have to go to Boavista and win convincingly. Um, I think when we're talking about January, we're talking about comfort food. Bitoque de casa. So you want a uh, steak with an egg on top. Egg often makes a great steak even better. Um, Let's get chips and rice on the side. It is Portugal, but treat yourself to some salad as well. Come on, be good to yourself. Eat yourself. Eat yourself if you need to. Eat
1: yourself. Uh, Thank you for listening to On the Continent. Make sure you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we will be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure that you subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode.
2: On the Continent is a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.